everyone and welcome again to another Monday night and that means it's time for the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell and alongside as we talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians as we go through spring training out in Arizona, alongside is my resident Reds expert, the hero from Wright State, the man that can dunk a basketball, Mark Donahue. Good evening, Mark. I can only dunk in my dreams now, David. But, uh, you know, you, you talked about spring training, and uh, this may be known in, in forever as the longest spring training of all time. It, seem, it seems like we've been in spring training now for, uh, you know, a, a couple of years, but uh, that's because of the World Baseball Congress, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, we certainly are, but we've got a guest coming up for, for everyone tonight, and that's going to be Sean Weaver. Sean Weaver is the head of Sean's.blogspot.com. And he talks about the Cincinnati Reds. He's going to be our guest coming up here about 9.20 this evening, so stick around for that. And if you've got any questions or anything you want to ask us here this evening, feel free to do so. You can email us at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can also tweet us something, and that is at altsportstalk or at OHBB co-host. So we're glad to have you along this evening. Stick around as we talk about the Reds and the Indians for the next hour. But, you know, Mark, I love this time of year. I mean, not only is it spring training, the baseball is back out, and we're getting ready for the beginning of April, spring, uh, cutting through the winter months, but also it means March Madness is here, and that brings us into something that it may not be involved with baseball entirely, but... The Miami Hurricanes out of Florida, they're in the uh, NCAA tournament coming up starting on Thursday night, Mark, and it's got a little Cincinnati flavor to it with Shane Larkin. Yeah, I saw him play a couple times, and frankly, he's a lot better than I thought he was. Uh, He's got some real skills, and I was happy to hear that he was going to be sticking around for his senior year because I think he can be a first-round pick next year. Yeah, Dick Vitale actually said yesterday that uh, since Larkin had announced that he was coming back, that his um, all-star team next year, all-American team, would consist at the beginning of the year of Aaron Kraft of Ohio State and Shane Larkin at the other guard. That would be great. And I think Larkin is, you know, he's a, obviously his father is an intelligent guy, went to Michigan, and uh, they, they certainly have the financial resources, so this kid doesn't have to run into the NBA and, uh, you know, make his mark. So I'm, I'm glad he's going to be staying put and getting his degree. And, uh, you know, it, it, I don't care who you are, how good you are in college. If you leave too early, something happens. Uh, I, I keep thinking of that kid from Duke. And I, the guard from Duke, the All-American, he was a first-round pick. Uh, I've forgotten his name now. And I, I wouldn't have forgotten his name <laughs> had he played. But remember, he, he graduated from Duke, or left Duke, First round pick and injured his knee in a motorcycle accident and never played. Jay Williams. Uh, was it Jay Williams? I, I, yeah. I forgot his name. Yeah, but Jay Williams. It, it, stuff happens. And um, uh, for all the kids out there, uh, <laughs> you can't plan on anything, folks. Uh, you, you've got to understand that 
that college degree is worth so much as you get older in life. And even today, advanced degrees are, are, are something you got to shoot for. Yeah, that was one of the proudest moments I've had as a father, Mark, is watching my two sons graduate from Hiram. But, you know, you look at Shane Larkin out there playing. He was the most outstanding player of the ACC tournament. And you watch Barry Larkin up in the stands. I think he was more nervous watching his son than he was during the World Series in 90. Oh, I, I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> I remember, you know, when you play sports, uh, I never played at the professional level, but I played at the college level. And you really don't get nervous during the game. But I remember watching my, my son play tennis in college and uh, in high school. And I'd be a nervous wreck watching him play. <laughs> I couldn't sit still. Your, your stomach turns. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's different when you're watching your kids play. Yeah, my oldest son, well, Greg, uh, was a football player at Hiram. And, and I was just on pins and needles out there watching him play. And then Pat was the student assistant basketball coach at Hiram for four years. And even though he wasn't playing, I was still involved with that team to the utmost. And, again, here I am sitting on pins and needles. And, and I'm not the most excitable guy at all anyway. So uh, just, just being involved with those two. And that was one of the reasons, Mark, that I had to leave the play-by-play profession. I knew there was absolutely no way I was ever going to be able to do a game broadcast a game with those two in it. You know, that's uh, that's interesting. And, and as you were talking earlier about <clears throat> this is a great time of year because of all the sports going on, name for me right now the sports that are going on. Oh, you've got... You've got the NBA and college basketball. You've got uh, NHL hockey. You've got golf going on. Baseball's happening. Even though football is not playing, it's still in the forefront because the draft is coming up in about a month. Um, let's well, see you prob- well, you probably know the answer to this, this, this trivia question, but I'll, I'll give our listeners a chance to, to respond to us by the end of the broadcast. Uh, you mentioned four sports, that, you know, major sports that are going on right now. What time of year is there, there's four days where there are no major sports going on. That is an interesting question. There's not one, there's not football, there's not basketball, there's not baseball, there's not hockey, there's not football, anything going on. There's four days of the year, in consecutive days, that nothing is going on. And what are those days? Well, I think we ought to give our listeners a chance to respond to that. Okay. And I'll give you the answer at the uh, at the end of the show. Okay, yeah. So if you've got the answer to that, uh, feel free to give us a tweet or give us an email at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can tweet us at ohbbcohost there on Twitter. But we are also proud to announce tonight that the Ultimate Sports Talk website is partnered with our affiliates to unable the, uh, unveil the first annual NCAA Bracket Challenge. So sign up now for your spot in the challenge by going straight to our website at www.ultimatesportstalk.com and clicking on the March Madness logo. Remember to use our group code, which is UST for Ultimate Sports Talk. Use that code UST when signing up and making your picks. Now, the top three winners in this year's competition will receive gifts courtesy of Ultimate Sports Talk, Mark Donahue, and our affiliates. The top winner will win a $50 gift card to Best Buy, Olive Garden, AMC Theaters, or GameStop. And the second-place winner is going to win Mark's book, Last at Bat, which is going to be soon a 
feature motion picture. So what are you waiting for? Just head on over to UST, UltimateSportsTalk.com, to sign up today. Mark and I are not eligible to win, but just for the heck of it, Mark, who do you say will win the tournament? I like Louisville. Boy, and here I thought we were going to have an argument. You like him too? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, they are they are playing so well, and uh, I saw them on TV the other day, and I'll tell you, they – and it's a surprise because at the beginning of the year, I, I didn't see them, uh, you know, coming together like they have by the end of the year. But I tell you, the other team that is playing so well is Ohio State. I mean, they they've really come around. I, I thought they would be completely out of it, maybe not even make the tournament by the middle of the year. And here they are, uh, ha- have a chance to win the darn thing. Uh, and the way with Indiana is playing, uh, they they've leveled off. So. You know, I think it's it's pretty much wide open. You know, it's interesting because so many players leave after their freshman or sophomore year. It, there's no longer a dominant team that would have like a Shaquille O'Neal or, or someone like that that could lead a college team to a Final Four victory. Uh, these teams are made up uh, many, many times of sophomores and juniors, and not many seniors. So you have... Number one, a quick turnover. You have people, teams rebuilding quickly, but you don't have that dominant team anymore. It, it's it's parity. It makes for exciting tournaments. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of these days, you're going to have a number one lose to a number 16. It's, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And uh, the, the, the tournament this year, uh, if I was a number one seed, I, I'd look over my shoulder because there are some good number 16s out there. Yeah, I, I would too. You know, the uh, I don't. You know, obviously this is a baseball show, but I think Louisville's got the best shot at winning without a doubt. The way that they played in that Big East tournament was just outstanding. I like the way Ohio State's playing right now. I think they've really got their act together. I don't like Georgetown. I don't like Syracuse. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Duke, although they've played a lot better since Kelly's come back. I'll tell you the dark horse team. I think that it's really going to give people fits and it's going to be a tough out is New Mexico under Steve Alford. I've watched them play a couple of times, and they are just an outstanding ball club. They play some tenacious defense. How about North Carolina as an eight seed? I mean, they were, I saw them mid-year, and they were playing pretty well. I don't know what happened to them in terms of their record, but uh, I see that team as an eight, and I wonder, wow, that's uh, that's a pretty strong uh, – I guess they'd have to play a nine, wouldn't they? Yeah, they do. And I don't have the bracket here in front of me or I tell you who they play. But um, anyway, I wanted to bring up Shane Larkin. And uh, I think it's just outstanding that, you know, it, it kind of segued right into our, our bracket contest. But also going on tonight, Mark, uh, is the WBC. Now, Puerto Rico is in the finals. The Netherlands – just got underway in San Francisco tonight against the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic has not lost a game in this WBC tournament. Many are disappointed in the USA's finish. They didn't make the semifinals, Mark. Were you one of those? I don't know why people are disappointed. The USA's never done well in this tournament. They've never won it. Uh, They've been knocked out, I think, in the second round two years. And they just, as I told you before we went on the air, if the U.S. put together truly an all-star team of U.S. players, I think they'd win. But so many players opt out. I mean, Johnny Cueto is an example. Johnny Cueto didn't play this year. But he was I'm sorry, he's with the uh, Dominican team. But 
a lot of U.S. players have not been on the roster. They beg off. They don't play. Uh, not always the best players show up. So I don't know. I, I don't think there's a lot of interest. And, you know, when the fans don't care if a team wins, I think it has some impact on uh, the players themselves deciding to play. No, I, I agree with you. The, the only thing that – nothing disappointed me about the USA's uh, appearance in this tournament. I mean, when you look at who they were beaten by, the Dominican Republic, uh, they were beaten by them in a very close game. They were beaten by Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's in the finals. The Dominican Republic hasn't lost yet. I don't see the Netherlands as beating them in the, the semifinal game, which means Dominican Republic will be playing – Puerto Rico in the championship game. I believe that's tomorrow night. And I just look at it as saying, hey, the major leagues are stocked with Dominican Republic players and Puerto Rican players. And I think the United States, had they been beaten by anybody else other than those two, I'd say, okay, I was a little upset by it. But no, they they gave a good showing. I don't think there was anything wrong with what they did. You know, what's happened, it's very interesting when you look at that sports, basketball, football, baseball, the, the number of African-American baseball players is unbelievably low. I don't know. I, I've forgotten the number now, but uh, I, I think the Reds have one uh, African-American player. And until or unless the, the inner-city kids get back playing baseball, we're going to lose a lot of talent that you know, is turning toward basketball or is turning toward football. And uh, obviously great athletes that uh, – Baseball ought to go out of their way to, to, to try and, and get these kids back playing baseball again. But it's so much easier to pick up a basketball and go down to the high school and, and play all day. You know, working a kid in the inner city, like we used to do, at least certainly I did, each neighborhood had a little baseball field that everybody would show up and play for 10 hours a day. Uh, you don't have that anymore. And certainly the cities, none of the big cities have that. So there's just no place for the kid to play unless he plays organized little league where he gets four bats a week and, uh, you know, pitches maybe two innings, and that's the extent of it. So I think American baseball can come back, but, but they have to look at where the talent is, and in many cases the talent's in the inner cities. Mark, I really believe the problem is with the parents. Um, I've been involved several years not so much in the past few years, but when the boys were younger, I was involved with the Little League Baseball program in the town that we live in. And when you get involved with other parents, Mark, I remember growing up and being involved in Little League and playing. The season went four or five months. It went from the middle of May through the end of August. You were playing from the end of one school year through the beginning of the next school year. And you had to have different kids, more than enough kids on your team, because when Kids went on vacation. Parents went on vacation. You needed somebody to fill that spot. Nowadays, these towns, they try to get these little league seasons compacted into about a month to a month and a half, two months tops. And you can't get kids to play in that kind of a situation. They don't have enough time to learn the fundamentals. And like you said, these ballparks nowadays, kids aren't interested in in getting 9, 10, 12, 14 kids together and going out to the ballpark and playing a game of baseball. They're more interested in going to the living room and playing 
uh, some sort of video game or playing a basketball video game or even the AAUs and basketball are going on now. So baseball's really going by the wayside in America. Yeah, and that's why you have so many Latin players that are flourishing in it. And uh, <clears throat> so, again, the, these organized leagues are not the answer to the kids playing baseball. If you go, I worked in D.C. for a number of years, and I've walked by this this basketball, uh, it was a full court, in fact, there was two full courts, right downtown D.C. 24 hours a day, there were kids playing basketball. 24 hours, you go at 3 in the morning, there'd be games out there. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And that's not the way it is with baseball. Uh, you know, you need you need more equipment in baseball, you need a big field in baseball, and it's, it's just, it's not conducive to what we have today. So, unless you have a kid who is going to play, you know, he starts when he's nine years old and plays in college. He's on these elite travel teams. Uh, the, the, the normal average kid just doesn't have a chance to do that. Well, moving forward, our guest coming up in just a few minutes is going to be Sean Weaver, who writes for the Cincinnati Reds blog at seans.blogspot.com. But, Mark, yesterday the Indians and the Reds faced off for the first time since really the first couple of days of spring training when they actually started playing ball games. It ended up being a 7-7 tie yesterday. It was a pretty good uh, outing for the starting pitcher for the Reds, Matt Latos, but it was a terrible one for Josh Masterson. What did you think? Yeah, I saw him, and boy, he was he was hanging a lot of breaking balls right in the middle of the plate. I mean, the one that three-run home run to Paul was right there. I mean, anybody could have hit that. And uh, even Frazier's was on the inside inner half, but uh, Frazier turned on it. Uh, it, it, it. He doesn't seem to me to have the location he had a couple of years ago. That I don't know what his speed is, but yesterday and, and last year when I saw him, I saw him pitch four or five times, and he was he was right down the middle of the plate on so many pitches, and I saw him get pounded. I mean, maybe I was just seeing, you know, unusual results, but I saw him get pounded three or four times. I mean, he just got lit up. So I don't know if there's real concern about him, or is it, is it location and velocity and crispness on his breaking ball, or what are you seeing about him? Well, right now, and we haven't been able to watch a lot of the games because uh, Sports Time Ohio has been in the transition of going to Fox Sports Ohio, which yesterday was actually the first broadcast they had as Sports Time, Fox Sports Ohio, whatever it is you want to call it now, that allowed the Indians' ownership to go out and sign Swisher and Bourne. But anyway, when you... So I haven't seen a lot of it, but what I've been understanding and what I've been hearing on the radio and things is that Masterson is not getting his pitches down. He's getting a lot of movement, but his pitches are kind of hanging around belt high. That's the same thing I saw today out of Ubaldo Jimenez. He pitched better. Jimenez seems to be getting better. They seem to be getting through to him as he seems to have compacted his delivery somewhat, and he's cut down on the number of pitches that he's throwing. Now, whether that is just because of the fact that it is spring training and he's trying to just master two or three pitches, which would be great to go through the rest of the regular season with, I don't know. But the fact is is that they are both have to win for the Indians to have a shot at winning this division, and right now they just seem to be working on their location. Uh, switching to the offense, um I saw yesterday Dusty Baker was inquiring about Drew Stubbs and 
he was told the Cubs were still hitting around 200 with I think 10 or 12 strikeouts. Uh, anything new on that front? We talked about it last week. He's the kind of guy I'd like to. I really like him to do well. I like Drew Stubbs. Have you seen anything different than we have seen the last few years? Actually, to be honest with you, I wanted to bring him up tonight because he has been putting the ball in play an awful lot. Uh, as far as strikeouts, yeah, he does have uh, 11 strikeouts on the spring, but his batting average so far is around 250. Now, I, I know he's going to uh, strike out a lot, Mark. I mean, that's a foregone conclusion. But if Stubbs can put the ball in play uh, most of the time and hit 250 for the Indians, I think he's going to stay in right field, and I think it's going to be a successful situation for him. Well, I think it's going to be a successful situation for the uh, for the Indians because – Man, that outfield, that has to be the best outfield defensively, certainly in the in the Central Division, maybe the American League. Well, it could be, although the Indians announcers today um, brought up the fact that California has got three center fielders now playing the outfield, and Josh Hamilton in right, Bourgeois is going to center, and they're moving Trout to the left. <laughs> Um, so they've got three center fielders also in the outfield. So this should be pro- this should prove to be interesting for the rest of the year. But right now we want to invite in to our Ohio Baseball Weekly microphones our guest for tonight, Sean Weaver of the Cincinnati Reds blog, which is at Sean's.blogspot.com. Sean, thanks for joining us again. I'm Dave Mitchell along with Mark Donahue. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Dave. Hi, Mark. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Doing all right here. Sean, we were talking a, a little bit about Drew Stubbs, so let me just bring that up. Uh, what are the Indians? What should the Indians expect out of Drew Stubbs this year, coming over from Cincinnati? Well, the kid can run and he can field and he can hit lefties. Right-handers have been a different story. He has a lot of trouble with that curveball and that slider from a right-hander. So if you can keep him away from some of the tough right-handers, you'll get a pretty decent player. Hey, Sean, what's your vote? Close or start? I assume you mean Aroldis. Yes. I would like to see him start because no matter what happens, Justin Verlander is still more valuable than Mariano Rivera. Yeah, assuming that he can become Justin Verlander, I agree, I agree with you. But uh, what if, I mean, it's all rumor. I, I read it now in two or three different locations, though that the Reds are looking into Kyle Loesch. Do you think if they were to sign Loesch, that would uh, mean that Aroldis will go back to the bullpen? I say there's no way in hell, pardon my language, that the Reds sign Kyle Loesch. Okay. <laughs> Why do you think that? Just because of his, his reputation or uh, his stuff? or Because he, he's not going to be that expensive. Well, actually, I think that's the problem, is Loesch wants a lot of money. Somebody would have signed him by now if he didn't want so much cash. But the Reds have six or seven better starters than Kyle Loesch. They have no reason to sign him. Well, if that's the case, uh, and they and they keep uh, Chapman in the rotation, as I hope they do, uh, do you have any concern about Broxton at the back end? 
No, Broxton is a perfectly competent reliever, and even if he were to falter or get hurt again like he did a couple of years ago, they've still got a lot of guys they can move into that spot. Sean Marshall had a little trouble last year, but he's perfectly capable of doing it. Uh, J.J. Hoover is a young guy who could move into that role. He has a lot of stuff, and I'm sure that, you know, He'll, he'll have a little bumpy start. That happens a lot, but but he can do the job too. I I agree with you. I, I'm a big JJ Hoover fan. Uh, I tell you, he's got he's got electric stuff, and I like his his physical makeup. He's he's got big legs. He's got a big butt, and he reminds me of that uh, that reliever for the uh, for the Braves, the guy who was the uh, number one reliever last year. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Craig Kimball. Yeah, Craig Kimball. Uh, mm-hmm. He has that, that kind of body, uh, and I tell you, I saw him pitch twice down there, and he he, he can he can bring it. Yeah, I really like Hoover. I think he's got quite a, a future. He could be a starter. He's got enough pitches that you could put him in the rotation, but I have a feeling this is going to be a guy they're going to stick with in the bullpen. And I, I see him as a closer at least a couple years down the line. Our guest is Sean Weaver. Sean, let me ask you this. Do you think that the Reds and Dusty Baker have to make a decision here like within the next few days, or do they have time to make a decision on whether or not Chapman will be the closer or a starter? Well, quite honestly, they have all the time in the world. When you, you cut yourself off when you put him in the bullpen, because once he starts training to pitch that one inning, you can't go back the other way. You know, you can train to start and then switch to relief right away, but you can't go the other way that quickly. So I'm, I'm hoping they keep him in the rotation as long as possible. Now, you know, if, if Dusty gets his way, he'll be back in the bullpen, but you know, I, I would really like to see him start because I think he can put up one of those ridiculous records, you know, an 18-5 and five or something like that. Well, I'm anxious to see what happens on Thursday uh, with Mark Pryor. I know it's a long shot, and it's probably not going to happen, but I lived in Chicago when Mark Pryor came up, and what a tragedy that that has befallen him. And I I would love to see this guy at least make the roster, the 40-man where he has a chance to pitch again, because he had the most electric stuff I'd ever seen coming up when he was 18 years old. It It was incredible how overpowering he was, and... I hope the Reds give him a fair shot. <laughs> there is a certain amount of irony about Mark Pryor and Dusty Baker being together again. But uh, I, know I see Pryor going back to the minors for a while, but you know injuries happen, and if he can get himself on track, I wouldn't be surprised to see him pitching out of the bullpen come midseason in Cincinnati. We just had a uh, question come in from one of our listeners. They wanted me to ask you, do you think that this Reds team is a better team right now the way it's constituted than last year's Reds team? I think this year's edition is a better team than last year, although when I say that, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win more games. I think they played a little over their heads last year and got a little bit lucky especially when you look at the top of that lineup. They had Stubbs and Cozart in the top two positions most of the time, and those guys did not get on base. It was something of a lucky break that they managed to win 97 games. I, I thought that was about a 90-win team last year, and things just kind of went their way. I think this year's team is a 95-win team, which 
usually means that their spread could be anywhere. You know, a normal spread would be 92 to 97. So they could have a better team than last year and win just the same amount of games or less. Sean, what about Chris Heisey? Where, where's he been lately? I mean, we're not seeing or hearing anything out of Heisey lately. Well, Heisey's actually having a pretty good spring. He's swinging pretty well. He's hitting uh, 300 or so. He's hit a couple of homers. Um, but it's just that he's in that fourth outfielder spot. Now, he's going to spell two in center a few times, and uh, certainly Ludwig's not going to play every day in left field, so Heisey will get some time out there. But he, he's fitting in that fourth outfielder slot. He'll probably get about 250, 300 at-bats this year. You know, I brought up last week uh, that I was one of the few people that thought Shinsu Chu could handle the center field position. What's your gut feeling about Chu playing center this year for the Reds? I really like his bat. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Chu is going to be really stretched in center field, but I think his combination offense-defense is going to be a lot better fit out there playing every day than Drew Stubbs was. Well, I yeah. think what you're going to find, Sean, is that uh, I think Drew Stubbs would be able to cover more ground, obviously, and he's probably got a better glove. But you're going to see that uh, Chu has got a better arm than Stubbs had. I think he'll be—I think he'll be pleasantly surprised at the way Chu's going to be able to handle center field. Yeah, I'm not real worried about it. I think it'll be all right. He just won't get to the balls in the gaps that Stubbs did. And, and that's all right. Stubbs can really run down some balls in the gaps. I mean, he, he can make some amazing catches. But you know, if, if Chu can be an average center fielder, the Reds will be fine. Yesterday, I heard on the on the broadcast, uh, I think it was uh, Jeff Rantley and um, I forget who the other guy was. I think it was uh, Tom Brenneman. They were talking about the development of Hamilton in center field. and He's been a real pleasant surprise that he's apparently adapted to center field much quicker than they thought he would. Uh, that's going to have a profound impact on what the Reds do uh, in the offseason. Because if he's ready to step in, you, you know, you don't sign Chu to a long-term deal. Um, and if, he, if he's not ready, you know, you've got to make some serious decisions because this kid, he didn't hit very well last year. And, you know, you can't, you can't steal first base. So this is a big year for the Reds in terms of developing some young players because after Hamilton, I don't know what you think, Sean, but I, I don't see that next Jay Bruce out there or, or next superstar in the making unless I'm overlooking somebody. No, and that concerns me a little bit because you know, Hamilton is very exciting and you hope that he can hit in on a major league level, but that's going to be next year, September at the earliest. He's, he's really not ready yet. You can tell that, but the, the excitement factor is certainly there. But, yeah, there is not another outfielder coming up that you can say, okay, this is going to be the next guy who can slot in and be a star. The only other guy they have on the farm who might be coming in in the next little bit would be Donald Lutz the uh, fellow out of Germany that they signed a few years ago. But you know, Lutz is a power guy, and he has decent speed for a guy his size. But you know, at, at best, he's going to be a left fielder. And they, at this point, they're really just kind of hoping if something goes badly wrong with Ludwig, that they can plug Lutz in and, and get a little bit of power out of him. But, but that's really where the 
the fallback position, and that's all they've got. What's yeah, your, what's, go ahead, Mark. Uh, what's your take this year on, on the rest of the National League Central? I mean, are the Cardinals uh, – I mean, I, I've been really surprised that there's a lot of enthusiasm from, from some baseball watchers about the Cardinals – uh, do you think they are the team to beat for the Reds? I think the Cardinals are definitely the second-best team in the Central. But right now, the Cardinals do not have a shortstop. That job is vacant. They're going to try and play Pete Cosma there, and if he can be inhabited by the spirit of Hurricane Bob Hazel like he was last September, then that would be great. But I think they're going to try and play him every day. He's going to hit 220. And and defense be a little bit shaky. I was a little concerned to hear. I heard this uh, last week on, on a broadcast. I was listening to MLB. I'm not sure which team I was listening to. But they said that the Cardinals were kicking the tires on Elvis Andrus. And I said, oh, no. Because he, he would really be the missing link for them. And I hate to see him come over to St. Louis. But he, that's somebody they probably ought to be looking at. That would be an interesting trade for him, but I wonder what the Rangers would want in exchange, and I wonder if the, if the cards would do that. I mean, that's a possibility, but that, that could be a real big trade. Yeah. Well, the Rangers are also having a power struggle out there with Nolan Ryan and their GM and the other owners. There, there's a real fight going on inside that organization right now, so I would think that they wouldn't be able to, to come to a, a meeting of the minds on what they would actually want for him. Well, the problem is it's his contract. I think he's in his last year of his contract, and uh, you know they they have another young kid they at shortstop that they can move in. But uh, I don't again. I don't know the depth of the Cardinals organization. Who could they offer for that guy? But boy, he's he's a game changer. If you move him over to, to St. Louis, he rounds out that lineup very very nicely. And I I hope they don't do that deal. No, that would be a killer. That would be a killer for the Reds. I mean, that would really put – that might put St. Louis over the top. Sean, uh, tell me a little bit about um, what what you think Brandon Phillips, after coming back over from playing for Team USA in the World Baseball Classic, uh, is, is he ready to go? Is he going to be more at home batting in the number two position than flip-flopping back and forth between first and second? I think that's the better spot for him because if you – Getting Phillips slotted in there between Chu and Votto is a good space because, you know, Phillips gives you a little bit of power, you know, steals some bases, hits for a pretty decent average, and if you get him in just the right spot, he also, not every year, but some years he draws some walks too and puts up a good on-base percentage. So I I think he's in a real good spot this year between those two left-handed hitters. So I'm looking for a pretty good year for Brandon. What, what's your biggest concern? I, I won't tell you mine until I hear yours, but you look at the Reds' lineup, and where do you see the, the weakest link offensively on that team? The thing I'm most worried about is, well, really what we were talking about earlier, the outfield depth. Because if, say, Ludwig goes down for any amount of time, that's going to put a serious crimp in the power and in left field. I mean, if, if Heisey can step in and have a, a real big month or two, and if, if Ludwig went down, then everything would be fine. But 
Pisces been so up and down whenever the Reds have tried to put him in the lineup on a more regular basis? And it just hasn't worked out when he's had to, to take on a bigger role. So I, I think the thing I'm worried about more than anything else is outfield depth. Because if one of the regular outfielders goes down, if Jay Bruce got hurt and was out for a month or two, I think that would be a big hit. Yeah, you, you hit exactly what I was going to say, which I could have written it down so I could prove this. But uh, Ryan Ludwood concerns me. Uh, he got off to a horrible start last year. Remember, in June, he was hitting under 200, and he had a great second half. But, you know, he's an up-and-down guy. He, he's never been consistent. He's had some good years. But, you know, what is he now, 35, 34? Um, and he's not bad defensively. He, he catches everything he gets to. But I'm just afraid not that he would get hurt necessarily, that he's just not going to perform as the Reds are depending on our number four hitter to perform. And I just wish, you, you said it a few minutes ago, I'm a big Heisey fan, but he's so frustrating because, you know, he gets a chance and he doesn't take advantage of it. He's just not all we'd hoped he'd be. (laughs) Sean Weaver, our guest. Sean, I'm going to put you on the spot as our final question for this evening. Who's going to win the NCAA basketball tournament? Oh, that's a good one. Um, (laughs) This is lost stumpers here. Yeah, this is a wide open tournament this year. Um, I would say Kansas, but that is more a wild guess than anything. Well, I was kind of hoping you'd go with Louisville. That would have given us the trifecta tonight. But, okay, I went with Kansas. We'll, we'll let you go there. Hey, Sean, tell us about the Red Leg Annual. I mean, they, everybody can pick it up for $4 at redlegannual.com. But tell us what it is. Yeah, it's a great little e-magazine. You can get it on your computer. There are about uh, 25 of us, uh, various bloggers from the Cincinnati uh, area. And uh, Joel Luckhopt was our uh, editor and, and ringleader and gathered up a bunch of us and sent us all out to write, write some articles and send them back into him. And he compiled it into a little e-magazine. And, well, if you'd l- like to read some of my stuff, plus Mo Egger and Joel and all kinds of other guys, there's all kinds of stuff in there for just 4 bucks. <laughs> and that's a regulating red leg annual com And, matter of fact, Joel's going to be our guest coming up here in just a couple of weeks. So we'll have him talk about it then also. Sean, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate your insight on the Cincinnati Reds. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. My pleasure, guys. Let's do it again. Okay. We'll do it. Thanks a lot, Sean. Sean Weaver, our guest here this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. He is uh, the Cincinnati Reds blog writer at Sean's.blogspot.com. Well, Mark, you know, one thing I want to talk about is, is Kyle Loesch here. We've, we've been talking mainly about the, the Reds here tonight, but I'll tell you, the thing that we bring up is this Kyle Loesch rumor because he's not the uh, – you guys aren't the only ones that are talking about Kyle Loesch. I've heard it around baseball, especially today, but the big thing about Loesch is any team that signs him has to give up a first-round draft pick. And we saw that that was a detriment – especially with Michael Bourne, and that's really how the Indians managed to get him. Do you think that's a detriment to any team that really wants to sign this guy this late in spring training? It depends. I mean, if it's a first-round pick for a team that finished first place, like the Reds did, you know, the Reds are going to pick 26th or 24th or 25th, something like that. So you're not going to be giving up a whole lot you know, if you figure your first-round pick is that low in the draft. So I think it, it makes some sense, 
But, you know, what happened with Michael Bourne uh, is a lot different than what happened with Kyle Loesch. But even in Bourne's case, his value went down precipitously from the time that the season ended last year to when he signed with the Indians. But Kyle Loesch, he, he way, way overvalued himself, or his agent did. And now he's, you know, he's a guy in his 30s. I don't know. I think he's 32, 33, maybe. Um, great arm. And he's always had a great arm. But he's been with probably five different teams. And you wonder, is there something above the shoulders that, that makes him uh, the kind of guy that the Cardinals, who needs starting pitching, decided not to sign? And why haven't they signed him now when his price has come down? They could probably sign him for less money now than they offered him during the offseason that he turned down. And they don't so, have to give up the first-round pick either, Mark. That's, that's my point. I mean, they are the team that makes so much sense for him to go back to. And why haven't they done it? So, uh, you know, he, he had a really good year last year. But he's been terribly inconsistent. When, when he was with the Reds, it would drive me insane when this guy pitched because he'd pitch three shutout innings, strike out seven guys, then give up seven runs in the fourth inning. Like his, he, he wouldn't concentrate or couldn't concentrate. Uh, he'd walk four guys and somebody would double and then a home run and it's you know the game's over. So maybe he corrected that, but you told me before the, the broadcast that you heard on the Indians broadcast that the Reds were at least kicking tires on Kyle Loesch. Yeah, he, they were. Uh, Toronto is, which Toronto, I'm not quite sure why they're interested in the guy. They've already got a payroll that's out of this world. And the New York Yankees are interested. Now, the Yankees make the most sense to me for Loesch, especially the way that their team is, is constructed right now and the problems that they've got. They've really got to rely on their pitching. Uh, coming back, especially the early part of this season when A-Rod is out and Teixeira is out for a while. Um, but Loesch was also rumored to be coming to the Indians, and I, I really think that the Indians are happy with their pitching. And, and really the reason I say that, Mark, is today two of the pitchers that were minor league signees that are ex-major league players, Daisuke Matsusaka and Matt Capps, both coming off arm injuries, and both have pitched well in spring training. But the problem is is that both have, have had minor injuries. They were told today by the club that they are not going to make the opening day roster. However, the Indians are willing to pay them a bonus. They can't increase their salary because the minor league salaries are set, but they can give them a bonus if they will report to Columbus of the AAA League. Now, Matsusaka has already said he'll do that. Now, Caps was supposed to be making a decision, and I just got uh, a clip here just a few seconds ago that said that he is really considering going to Columbus. Um, I think they're happy with their pitching staff, and Scott Casimir's still involved in this whole rotation. I think he's got a shot at being number five. Yeah, he, he's your Mark Pryor, I guess. You, you just pull for the guy. You know, you, you hope he can come back and, and, and make it, just like just like Mark Pryor. But with the you know with the starting pitcher like Loesch, don't forget he's not had spring training, so even if he signs tomorrow with somebody, he he's not going to be ready to pitch, uh, you know multiple innings probably until the beginning of May. Well, maybe he'll be the new Roy Oswalt or Roger Clemens, and he'll just show up in the middle of July and decide to pitch. Well, Andy Pettit was the only guy I recall that really pulled that off well. Um, 
So, you know, he, and it's amazing. Pettit now, after he retired twice, is saying he wants a two- or three-year contract now. So <laughs> maybe maybe the home life wasn't all he thought it was going to be cracked up to be. Yeah, really. Hey, a couple of other uh, house-cleaning items with the Indians so far before we get into a couple of other things. Chris Perez appears to be ahead of schedule. He's begun throwing today. He threw a bullpen session. They said they're going to check out his arm tomorrow. Of course, uh, he's coming off of that strange shoulder. He hasn't pitched for a couple of weeks. Um, but he said after the throwing session, he felt pretty good. So he seems to be ready to go. And also, the Indians, uh, through the uh, grapevine we're hearing, they are discussing contract extensions with not only Michael Brantley, but also Jason Kipnis, their second baseman. So that's good news. Maybe the Dolan brothers are starting to take a a clue, a, a, a cue from, I should say, from the previous regime, the Jacobs brothers and John Hart. But now it's time, Mark, for us to go to our listeners for our Ask Us segment where they're going to be giving us some questions. And I guess the, the first question that I want to ask you, let's talk about the, the Reds first of all, is uh, the Red Legs writes into us, Mark, and he says he's having a hard time buying that this team is a legit World Series contender in October. He wants to know, he wants you to tell him, Mark, what is he missing? Because they seem like they're the same team with a worse center fielder but a better leadoff guy and Chapman in the rotation. What's changed? Well, let me, let me turn that question around and, what, and ask our listener, what are the Reds missing? Because if you look up and down that lineup offensively, uh, there's not a weak bat in it, uh, number one. And number two, they have probably the best starting pitching uh, particularly if Chapman's in the starting rotation, they have probably the best starting pitching in the National League. If he goes to the bullpen, they have the best bullpen in the National League and, and still a pretty good staff. They've got speed, and you're right, they may have given up a bit on defense in center field, but don't forget where they play. Great American Ballpark is one of the smallest outfields in baseball, so there's not the kind of ground to cover that you would have, say, at one of the West Coast teams out in San Diego or Arizona. So I think Chu's going to do fine out there. Will he catch everything that Drew Stubbs caught? I don't think so. But Drew Stubbs made up for a lot of bad routes. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen that guy just outrun his mistakes. I mean, he, he was a great he, – he had great speed in center field, but – uh, technically, he was not a great center fielder. I, I think I actually think that Chu probably has better instincts in the outfield. He doesn't have a speed, but I, I just don't think the Reds have a weakness this year that would cause anybody to, to have concern that they're not going to be competitive. And I, I really do think that with their pitching, they're going to make it back to the playoffs, and I think they're going to be in the World Series. Jeffrey asked me tonight, what do I think is the number one thing that Terry Francona has brought to the Indians? And I think that's an easy one-word answer. Attitude. He has just come into this ball club, and he has just infused it with a positive attitude and excitement that I haven't seen in this ball club since probably the 2000-2001 season. Uh, when Charlie Manuel took over for Mike Hargrove as manager. I think Terry Francona was an excellent choice. He's excited about being in Cleveland, and I think he's just brought a tremendous attitude to this ball club. 
Mark, one question that we've also gotten here from Crazy32 is, and I asked uh, our guest Sean Weaver this question, but I'm going to ask you also, where do you think Chris Heisey fits in? I think Chris Heisey, I mean, we ought to write some of these predictions down. I have a feeling that he is going to end up being the Reds' regular left fielder this year. I don't know why. I don't, I'm not wishing anything bad to happen to Ludwig at all. Uh, but I don't think Ludwig is the guy that you can depend on to have the kind of year he had last year. And if he gets off to a slow start again, and again, I mentioned earlier, he was hitting under 200 in June. And if, if you know, Heisey's going to get a shot, and I, I just think the Reds are a better team with Heisey in left field. I, I just, uh, I, he's better defensively. He's got a better arm. He's faster. He's got power. And I just hope if he gets his chance, he doesn't blow it again this year. Well, Random Indians fan writes in and asks me, uh, why did the Indians cut Ben Francisco? The reason the Indians cut Ben Francisco is because they've got a glut of outfielders right now, and the way Ryan Rayburn was playing, there just was no way that they could cut the guy. The guy's hitting 425 in spring training. Yeah, Francisco was immediately picked up by the New York Yankees, but Ryan Rayburn would have been picked up probably by the New York Yankees had he been cut instead of Francisco. I think you know what exactly what you're going to get out of Ben Francisco, and Rayburn is a lot younger, and the way he's hitting, tearing the cover off the baseball right now, I think they had to keep him. But also, Mark, the final question we've got on our Ask Us segment tonight comes from Robbie, and he takes umbrage on me for a comment that you made last week about... Robbie Alomar, basically taking Robbie out of the discussion as one of the best second basemen to play the game. He wants to know, where's my Indians' loyalty? Why didn't I back up my guy? Well, I'm here to tell you right now, you and I have had this discussion before. I think Robbie Alomar is the best second baseman to ever play the game of baseball. Period. Well, you're smoking dope. <laughs> 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 no one knows what I'm doing behind this microphone. <laughs> no, no the, the discussion last week was who was the most valuable second baseman, and my argument was Joe Morgan was. Now, you and I have had the discussion, who was the better defensive second baseman? Forget offense for a second. Was it Robbie Alomar or Brandon Phillips? Now, you saw Robbie Alomar play more than I did. I have seen Brandon Phillips play more than you have. Brandon Phillips is the best second baseman I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody cover the ground that Brandon Phillips does and gets to balls that, that I've never seen anybody else come close to. He'll get to them and throw the guy out. Now, you can, you can argue for Alomar, and you've got a good argument. But I still think if you add everything up for a second baseman, Joe Morgan is more valuable than Brandon Phillips or Robbie Alomar. And I'm going to stick to it. Well, I would have a tough time saying that Joe Morgan was more valuable to the Big Red Machine than Robbie Alomar was to the Toronto Blue Jays during that time. They both batted third. They both played second base. Uh, they both hit for power during that period of time. Uh, they both won two World Series championships. The only thing that you and I discussed earlier was the fact that, yeah, Joe won the Most Valuable Player awards. Robbie didn't. 
Um, but that was, I guess you could say that that was because back back then uh, there were a lot more stars. Although now that I say that, there were a lot more stars on the Reds too. Um, I just have a tough time saying that, that Joe, I think the body of work, and I hate that phrase, but I'm going to use it, the body of work that Robbie had throughout his entire career was more exemplary than Joe Morgan. But don't get me wrong, I am a big Joe Morgan fan. I love the guy. And with Brandon Phillips, I'm not going to disagree or agree with you. I'm going to stay ambivalent as far as the defense is concerned. But you know what? Brandon Phillips is a second baseman playing with a shortstop's arm, and he's you know, just fantastic there. Uh, in in our mutual defense, um, talking about defense, uh, I saw a statistic the other day that they rated the top second baseman. I don't know if it's been the last fifty years or a hundred years or whenever they've been doing these matrix, matrices on on defense. But guess who was the best? defensive second baseman, and again, I, I don't know the time period, but it was like 50 years, and, and they broke it down. Tell me if, if you can think who the number one defensive second baseman was. Bill Mazeroski. Not even close. He wasn't even in the top 25. <laughs> I this is, this is, a, recent, this is a, a relatively recent player, and he played for the Reds, and he was a judge, the best defensive second baseman over what, whatever era they were measuring. Well, the only name that comes to mind right now is Tommy Helms. Pokey Reese. Pokey Reese. And he was the guy who came up as a shortstop. Yep. And, you, and that's what makes a great second baseman because very, very few players come through the minor leagues as second basemen. They come through as shortstops, and they are moved to second base. And that's why when you have a guy with a cannon arm like Brandon Phillips has, I mean, Brandon Phillips had a great arm from shortstop, much much less from second base. So uh, that was a very interesting statistic. And I, they used this, this war, uh, W-A-R, uh, effect on, uh, I guess, wins above replacement. And Pokey Reese was a judge of the best defensive second baseman. Well, one of the greatest moves Eric Wedge ever made as manager of the Indians was when they brought up as Drupal Cabrera, they moved him to second base so they could continue playing Johnny Peralta at short. That made a lot of sense. And they traded Brandon Phillips. <laughs> yeah, and that was because Eric Wedge couldn't get along with him. Yeah, he's about the easiest going guy in the world. I mean, really easy going guy. Hey, before we get off, I, I want to answer my trivia question. Yes. What time of year... Is there no baseball, no football, no basketball, no football, no hockey, no college baseball, nothing? You want to give one more guess? I'm thinking here, and I would say it is November. It's the four days after the Major League Baseball all-Star break. Oh, that's a trick question. What do you mean it's a trick question? Come on. The season's going out. on. I thought you were talking about seasons. You couldn't figure it out. Now, you know every season has a sport. I said it's three or four days, which there is no major sport. See, you don't get it right 
and you immediately default to trick question. It it was a trick question. I wondered anybody else got the answer. <laughs> hey, you want to talk about tricks? I'm I'm sitting here while we're doing this broadcast, Mark, and I'm watching the Netherlands play the Dominican Republic. And I don't know if you're doing the same thing, but a couple innings ago, the guy for the Dominican Republic ran over and caught a foul ball in the stands down the left field line. And, Mark, it wasn't more than two minutes later they showed the play from the Chicago Cubs playoff game where the guy interfered with Moises Alou in left field. Are they ever going to let that go? Poor Steve Bartman. Uh, (laughs) He'll live in infamy. This poor poor guy. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, I wanted to bring this up last week. We didn't have time on the schedule, but I'm going to bring it up tonight. For anyone who thinks that the first month of this season really isn't that important, let me share with you the red schedule in April. They're going to open with the Los Angeles Angels, probably the prohibitive favorite to win not only the West, but maybe even the American League. Then they play the Washington Nationals, the prohibitive favorite to win the Eastern Division. Then they go to their two main rivals in the Central Division, St. Louis and Pittsburgh. Then they come home to Philadelphia, the Marlins and Cubs. They finally get a breather with the Marlins and Cubs. You never get a breather when you're playing the Phillies, especially with that pitching staff. And then they finish the month again at Washington and with the Cardinals. This is a month in April that the Reds have to be on their game, I think, Mark. I said... uh earlier this year to some friends that if the Reds can play 500 baseball in April, they're going to win the division by 10 games. Because you're absolutely right. That is that is the most grueling schedule. And if, if they come through that schedule and they have a winning record, look out. I mean, they're, they're going to they're going to do some damage this year. But, you know, honestly, David, that they could they could come out of April, uh, you know, down six or seven games. Because if they were to lose to the Cardinals, you know, they play five games in April against the Cardinals in the sixth game May 1st. By May 1, they could be six or seven games behind, and it's going to be a long year. Yeah, they've really got to be coming out of spring training ready to go, and there's only two more weeks left to go in spring training. So, Mark, what do the Reds want to accomplish over these next two weeks getting ready for April? Well, it's all about pitching now. It's, it's, they'll make the decision about Chapman, I would say, this week. And at that point, they're going to have their rotation down. And Sean was absolutely right. It will be easy to move Chapman to the bullpen if they decide to do that. Uh, but I, I tell you what, I, I'm not going to put against uh, or bet against Walt Jockety pulling off a trade for a starter because uh, if they do move him back to the bullpen and they can bring in a fifth starter that would be better than Leak, and that wouldn't be too difficult after what he did last year, uh, or, or even bring Singrani into that into that spot. I tell you, they're going to be tough to beat they're, they're, with that pitching staff. But boy, if they if they were to bring in a true number, you know, three or four pitcher and put him at number five, uh, the Reds could do some real damage this year. Well, the Indians right now, what they're looking at is just trying to get their team back together. Carlos Santana 
and Micah Villies are still playing for the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, respectively. So they're waiting to get those two guys back. But today they played Milwaukee with virtually their entire starting lineup intact except for Santana. Now they've got to get their pitching set. When Perez comes back, they can get him worked back into that closer role. And the Reds and Indians only play one more time against each other, Mark, and that's on March 30th, the very last spring training game. Yeah, just before we go, I wanted to get your take. I mean, from what I see, and you're much closer to it than I, uh, this is the best Indians team I have seen in probably six or seven years. you disagree with that? No, not at all. I agree. I agree totally. I think it's probably the best Indians team that they have had since at least 2007. Uh, and before that, you would have to go all the way back to 2000, 2001, uh, that the team was this good. Well, you, it's, if they fail, it's all your fault. Well, I've got big shoulders, <laughs> you know. And and one thing one thing is for sure, Mark. If they fail, I'm blaming the Dolans, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. How's that? Okay, Dave. Good night. All right. All right, that's it for our show this evening, everyone. We do want to tell you one more time, where did I put this sheet? It's right here, that we are having the first annual NCAA Bracket Challenge on UltimateSportsTalk.com. So sign up for your spot in the challenge by going straight to our website at www.UltimateSportsTalk.com, clicking on the March Madness logo. Remember to use our group code UST when signing up and making your picks. You can sign up for a $50 gift card and a book, Last at Bat, by our resident Reds expert, the author, Mark Donahue. Well, next week we hope to have, um, as our guest, the new Reds beat writer, Trent Rosencrans for the Cincinnati Inquirer. And coming up in just a couple of weeks, Mark and I will be on at 8 o'clock on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Make that note of that, 8 o'clock because of the national championship game uh, for the NCAA. And we will be back on next Monday night at 8 o'clock. Join me on Thursday night on Blog Talk Radio for the BBA Baseball Talk Show with Dave Mitchell. Until next week, next Monday night at 9 o'clock, I am Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Our thanks to Sean Weaver for being our guest. Good night, everyone. <laughs>